someone is trying to create panic and break up the Congress with this false news. Someone who is the author of chaos. We must keep a keen eye out for other such maneuvers. Max, I need you to keep that keen nose of yours on the alert to sniff out trouble. Aye, I'll root out any smelly minions, Max barked, sniffing around. Killiman, I smell something foul in the air. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. On our schedule this week, it's Chapter 62 of The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, as our colonial delegates converge on Philadelphia and prove that, though they were new at politics, they certainly learned the ropes quickly, as they immediately found out how to bicker and argue. (laughs) Uh, But later in Jenny's Corner, our author last, Jenny L. Cody, will remind us that they did find an antidote to all that bickering, and thus it became the key ingredient to becoming unified, Can you guess what that key ingredient was? Liz? Um, chocolate? No, but that's a good guess. Uh, what key ingredient unified the Founding Fathers? Nigel? Uh, I say, uh, uh, afternoon tea? Well, since they were there to discuss breaking free from Great Britain, I'm gonna give that a no. Ooh, ooh, I know, I know! Uh, Max? Going for a ride and sticking their heads out the windows? Uh... Uh, no, huh? It works for us doggies. We all get in the car, roll down the windows, and take off, and soon we are united with one purpose. To stick your heads out the windows. <laughs> Aye, it don't get any better than that, laddie. Okay, yeah, but that's three strikes and you're out. So, uh, now, as you're listening to the chapter, let's see if you can figure out what that key ingredient was to unity. All right? Now, since you've already heard from them, let me formally introduce your hosts. First, our petite little kitty, so brilliant and pretty, that I introduce her with this little ditty. Uh, Lisette Briand. Ah, oh, merci, monsieur announcer, whose poetry is a pity. Oh, yeah? Well, um, okay, well, our, our next toast, uh, he's top-notch among mice, with a disposition so nice that any lesser intro would just not suffice. Nigel P. Monaco. <laughs> Indeed, old chap, and cease doing rhymes, t'would be my advice. Come on, really? Okay, finally, tis our doggy so brave that the experts all rave. We could use more of this, laddie. Tis what we all crave. Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce. Thank you, announcer lad, but next time, just wave. Boy, oh boy, I try to give you a proper introduction, but sometimes less is more. We oui, that is our deduction. <laughs> <sighs> I think I need a vacation. Ooh, merci, monsieur, that reminds me. I have some vacation time coming. I get two weeks this year. Well, uh, bravo. I just hope you weren't thinking next month, my pet, for I have already put in to be on holiday myself next month, and I'd hate for them to conflict. Well, Mousy, if you're just going for one day, it aren't that big a deal. <laughs> no, 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 old chap, when we Brits say holiday, uh, we're actually referring to a full-fledged vacation. Well, then, maybe you should call it, uh, let's see, how about... A full-fledged vacation? (laughs) Well, I say, old habits die hard, I'm afraid. Well, I hope you are not talking about the week of the 12th. Oh, dear. I would actually be leaving on the 13th, yes. 
but I'm scheduled to be gone for nine days. Oh, dear, that is not going to work. Hey, especially since I'll be heading out for two weeks on the 10th. Me trip's been in the books for a while now. Well, how long is a while? Because I submitted my request at least a month ago. I say, as did I. I have reservations to scurry about with my cousins in a 14th century English castle. <laughs> These reservations are not easily obtained, I assure you. I had to pull some strings with the Duke of Mouster, you see, and... Well, lottie da me and me buddies at the doggy park are lined up to take a doggy bus tour out west to see the Grand Canyon. A bus tour? And will you all be sticking your heads out the windows? Oh, aye, you bet we will. Well, uh, could you go at a later date, mon ami? My reservations are for two weeks in the French Caribbean, strolling the pristine sands on the Isle of Martinique. Oh, très bien. Hi, Mousy. That'll be the biggest litter box in the whole box. Don't be rude. Hi, that were rude. Sorry about that. But it don't fix our schedules. If Mousy's going to have your mobile excursion to the Wild West all at the same time, these reservations were extremely difficult to secure. Hey, enough bickering. That's going to solve nothing. I tell you what, let's go back into our story, and then we'll all sit down and figure this out, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, right. Chapter 62. God Bless America. Carpenter's Hall, Philadelphia, September 6th, 1774. General Gage tried to seize the gunpowder from a magazine in Cambridge, one man shouted in alarm. I heard six citizens were killed in the fight, another man added. It's another Boston massacre. People have taken up arms all the way to Connecticut, still another declared. Panic filled the streets as the bells tolled, but something wasn't quite right. The men quickly saw that the stories were conflicted. The rumor mill fueled chaos, and it soon became clear that the information had come from an unconfirmed source. They would need to wait for more reliable news to verify what had happened in Boston. Gilliman stood by with Max and Nigel and tightened his mouth. There has been no attack in Boston. Someone is trying to create panic and break up the Congress with this false news. He looked down at the two friends. Someone who is the author of chaos. We must keep a keen eye out for other such maneuvers. Max, I need you to keep that keen nose of yours on the alert to sniff out trouble. Aye, I'll root out any smelly minions, Max barked, sniffing around. Killiman, I smell something foul in the air. Heaven help them, Nigel lamented, watching the delegates who huddled together, trying to bring calm back to the situation and return the Congress to Carpenter's Hall to resume the meeting. Heaven help them indeed. War is coming, but not yet. Not until they are prepared with the proper armor, and not dependent on their own strength to fight. Excuse me while I have a little chat with Mr. Adams and Mr. Cushing, Gilliman said, his eyes following the round-faced Boston firebrand Sam Adams as he made his way back toward Carpenter's Hall with the Speaker of the Massachusetts House, Thomas Cushing. I need to offer an encouraging word to this doubting Thomas and drop a little heavenly name in Sam's ear. 
Max and Nigel looked at one another and shrugged their shoulders. They never knew what Gilliman was going to do, but one thing was certain. He always found a way to impact the tiniest of details, which in turn would impact the grandest of moments in history. Once back inside, the Congress attempted to rein in their emotions to focus once more on the task at hand. They decided that, from here on, they would need to keep their meetings secret, allowing no one to enter unless approved by the Congress. The doors to Carpenter's Hall would be bolted shut each day. They would not reveal any of their discussions or decisions until they were ready to publish the whole of their work. They decided to form two committees, one to draft a statement of colonial rights and grievances, and one to halt trade with England. As the afternoon close of the session neared, Speaker Thomas Cushing of the Massachusetts House rose to his feet and addressed President Peyton Randolph. Sir, given the uncertainty of the news from Boston and the gravity of these proceedings, I humbly request that we open up tomorrow morning's session with prayer. If I may, sir, wouldn't private devotions be adequate? John Jay offered above the murmuring in the room. Our members are divided in religious sentiments, so formal worship might cause friction. Sam Adams cleared his throat and got to his feet. Peyton Randolph nodded with a hand out for him to speak. I am no bigot, but I could hear a prayer from any gentleman of piety and virtue who is at the same time a friend to his country, Sam offered. Although I am a stranger in Philadelphia, I have heard about an Episcopal minister, a Mr. Jacob Duchesne from Christ Church, who is deserving of such character. Might we hope that he could come tomorrow and read prayers for our assembly? Nigel stood high in his windowsill perch, smiling as the assembly grew calm and agreed to Sam's suggestion. A heavenly name in his ear, he said, knowing it was Gilliman who had suggested Duchesne. Carpenter's Hall, Philadelphia, September 7th, 1774. The bells were still ringing in the city, anxious for the truth about the situation in Boston. The 56 delegates filed quietly into the hall, wearing anxious looks and murmuring amongst themselves. Has any reliable news arrived? Is it really war? They knew they were not yet ready to face that reality. The gentlemen found their way to their Windsor chairs and sat down. Once Peyton Randolph called them to order, Reverend Duché entered the hall, wearing his full formal rector attire. Patrick Henry locked eyes with Samuel Adams and nodded. Reverend Duché lifted his hands in greeting with a warm smile and opened the Book of Common Prayer. Those delegates who remained loyal to the Church of England were pleased. In his divine wisdom, God has provided a timely word from today's reading. Hear now the word of the Lord from the 35th Psalm. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Also, draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. 
Nigel's heart swelled with joy to watch the First Continental Congress hear the blessed assurance that God would arm them with strength. They hung on every word of the psalm as Reverend Duchesne read it in its entirety. When he reached the end of the psalm, he paused and turned the page to read the prayer in the little book that followed the daily reading. Then he looked around the room at the men, closed the book, and set it on the table. The Quakers and other dissenter delegates shared approving glances. They were delightfully surprised. He wasn't going to simply read a prayer. He was going to pray from his heart. Reverend Duchesne held up his hands and quietly requested, Let us pray. Slowly, Patrick Henry slid off his Windsor chair and got to his knees, turning to rest his face atop his folded hands as he leaned his elbows on the seat of the chair. Many of the other delegates did the same, while others sat or stood in humble reverence. At that holy moment, the reverend filled the room, not with a general pre-written prayer in a book, but with a prayer from the deep recesses of his soul. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor, and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support which thou alone canst give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes of own unerring justice sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety, prevail and flourish amongst the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions here they represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world, and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. Now that is the way to start a Congress, Nigel opined, lifting his gaze following the astounding prayer. The delegates rose to their feet with heads held high and now wore expressions of confident eagerness. The entire room was transformed. 
and the fear and anxiety from yesterday's news from Boston evaporated, even before they had received word that the information was false. And that is exactly the kind of prayer the Maker will answer. A messenger did in fact arrive from Boston the day after the Congress opened up with prayer, with the news that there had been no bloodshed and no bombardment in Boston. But the false rumor had driven the delegates to their knees in prayer. After that day, they were driven to accomplish the task given to them by the people they represented, the American people, as Patrick Henry now called them. The weeks passed, and the committees trudged along to accomplish their work. Max patrolled the two blocks between Carpenter's Hall and the city tavern, watching and smelling for any signs of trouble. Patrick Henry was lodging at the city tavern for the duration of the Congress. Max checked in with Ms. P. to see if she had seen anything suspicious. Nigel attended the daily sessions of Congress as no bolted door could keep out the brilliant mouse. He gave daily updates of any progress to Gilliman, Max, and Ms. P. Gilliman waited until the right time to approach Patrick Henry and invited him, as well as Richard Henry Lee, George Washington, and John and Sam Adams to dinner at the house where he was residing while in Philadelphia. They would be dining with Mr. Gilliman the following evening, but this night, as he frequently did, John Adams sat down to write to his wife Abigail about the things happening in the Congress. Little did he know, but he was being watched in the dimly lit room. He muttered aloud as he wrote with his quill. We go to Congress at nine, and there we stay, most earnestly engaged in debates upon the most abstruse mysteries of state, until three in the afternoon. The business of the Congress is tedious beyond expression. This assembly is like no other that ever existed. With twenty-two of the delegates being lawyers, and all the others being at least great orators, critics, or statesmen, every bit of business was drawn and spun out to consume a miserable length of time as each man made his opinion known. But when Paul Revere delivered the Suffolk Resolves from Boston on September 18th, there was great excitement in the Congress. Dr. Joseph Warren had called a meeting of patriots in Suffolk County, including the city of Boston, and drafted the strongest resolutions yet adopted by any American assembly. The Suffolk Resolves plainly stated that no obedience is due from this province to the recent act of Parliament, but that they should be rejected as the attempts of a wicked administration to enslave America. No taxes or monies from trade should be sent to the crown until all grievances were redressed and Massachusetts was restored to a constitutional basis. Americans should not riot, but act in an orderly way so as to merit the approbation of the wise and the admiration of the brave and free of every age and country. Still, each town should be well armed for defense and trained in the manner of war. The day Congress ordered the publication and support of the Suffolk Resolves was one of the happiest days of John Adams's life. He wrote in his diary, This day convinced me that America will support Massachusetts or perish with her. The conservatives in Congress, however, became uneasy with such bold, radical, treasonous talk. 
ten days after Congress approved the Suffolk Resolves, they had a strenuous debate to defeat Galloway's plan of the proposed union between Great Britain and the colonies, which was a British-style parliamentary government that would have maintained the Crown's grip on the colonies. Patrick Henry and the Virginians would have no part of it and defeated the plan. Adams yawned and shook his head before dipping his quill in the ink to tell Abigail about the other side of life in Philadelphia. Our tedious days are relieved with festive dinner parties nearly every day. It is a perpetual round of feasting. After Congress adjourns each day at four in the afternoon, the delegates go to dine with some of the nobles of Pennsylvania and feast upon ten thousand delicacies and sit drinking Madeira, Claret, and Burgundy till six or seven, then go home fatigued to death with business, company, and care. He yawned, patted his growing belly, and gave a hearty chuckle, thinking about the dinner party he would attend the next night with Patrick Henry at the home of Mr. Gilliman. <laughs> I am being killed with kindness in this place. As John Adams set down his quill and blew out his candle, the pair of eyes gleamed in the shadows. Why, thank you, Mr. Adams. Why hadn't I thought of that? I say, with all the differing opinions in Congress, there still was much unity and resolve as well in standing up to the crown. We, oui, it just goes to show what putting the maker first can do. And it caused me to think about our conflicting schedules for vacation, so I have made my own resolve. I have decided to cancel my trip plans to Martinique, so you both may take your trips as planned. <laughs> well, that's uh, rather generous of you, my pet, but completely unnecessary, as I have rearranged things with the Duke of Mouster and all that with the castle. Ah, uh, Mousy, I wish you hadn't done that. "'Cause me and me doggy friends decided to wait till next summer to go to the Grand Canyon. "'I say, you mean we've all cancelled? "'Well, that's, uh, certainly one of us should have stuck with Plan A, as it were. Uh, "'Max, call your friends and go ahead and reschedule that bus tour.' "'Oh, no, ladies first, lad. Uh, Liz, go ahead and go to your fancy French island, then.' "'I could not do that. Now, now when I insist, Nigel, Liz, you had to go to such a place, it was a castle, and, and, and Max, an old uh, castle. Uh, the hey, 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 gang, um, it, you know what? It's time for Jenny's Corner.' And not a moment too soon. Uh, it was nice that you were all willing to sacrifice for the others, but now no one gets to take that vacation. So we, we still don't have unity here. But you may recall that our Jenny's Corner today points out the antidote to all this disagreement, the cure in bringing about unity. So here's Miss Jenny. Is it any wonder that when the very first Continental Congress met, and got under one roof at Carpenter's Hall in Philadelphia that they immediately began debating and bickering, and there was discord. And as we saw last week in A Voice Unified, Patrick Henry was the one that got up and said, I am not a Virginian, I'm an American. Because unity, to pull this off, to come to an agreement of all 13 colonies, to declare independence from Great Britain, it was going to take a unified voice. And Patrick Henry saw that at the get-go. So he was the one, again, leading with his voice to speak the words that needed to be heard. 
But after that rough beginning, things weren't going so well. And something dawned on the guys there that maybe we need to start fresh with a word of prayer to have divine oversight on what we're doing. And I love this chapter, God Bless America, because I used the actual words that were spoken in Carpenter's Hall. And as you read them, think about that scene when the Reverend Duchesne lifted his hands in greeting and he opened the Book of Common Prayer, you know, and he read from the 35th Psalm. But then he prayed from his heart to implore, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to endow these men with wisdom with direction, with unity, the guidance that they needed. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions here they represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ thy Son, and our Savior. Amen. And Nigel, I love your line. Now that is the way to start a Congress, (laughs) you said, and indeed it was. And I submit to you that because the Founding Fathers and these men that were gathered for this crucial moment, not just for American history, but for the history of the world, and not just then, but for today, Because what those men did with offering up this prayer and asking God to direct them caused them to accomplish this impossible task of David versus Goliath to defeat the mighty British lion, to gain our independence, and to come together as a unified country. Thirteen, not united colonies, united states, one nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Here, here, Miss Jenny, much obliged, and, well, uh, thank you for the acknowledgement on my pivotal line about starting a Congress, but, uh, uh, give credit to whomever wrote the line for me to say, huh? We oui, and the bigger lesson here is that prayer to the Maker was the true cause of unity. Hey, which might be, uh, nudging us to do the same with this whole time-off mess we got. Indeed, Max, well said. And so then, uh, would you both, uh, join me? Uh, dear Lord Maker, we thank you for every day you give us, and that you intend some days for work, and some for rest, and even some for play. We? Oui, but you intend every day to be put into your hands, that we would come to you for guidance in how to best use each day, to bring you the most glory and to be the most kind to one another. Aye, Maker. So whether me or Liz schedules a vacation, or Mousy schedules a holiday, we ask you to work all our plans together for good according to your purposes. And all God's creatures said, Amen. Amen. Well, there you go. Now that is the way to start discussing vacations. Ha, indeed. Now then, uh, what say we all sit down and work this out? Aye, Mousy. There be a coffee shop down the street that caters to pets. We, oui, I think I know the one. The Kitty Boo Cafe? Uh, well, no, I were thinking Starbucks. I say, uh, which copper is the most mouse-friendly? Oh, that would be Starbucks. Starbucks. 
Aye, lad, and we'll get a scone and drop you some crumbs, huh? Huzzah! Well then, let's go. Uh, my treat. Now I think we can come to an agreement. Aye, lass, we just need to sort some hey, guys. things out then. I believe you know, we just have to find some kind of we, a compromise and then talk it over with each other. Hey, you guys. Uh, okay, well, why don't I just uh, end the show then, huh? Okay, I'll, uh, I'll see you guys next time. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A biento, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.